Before the RouterFlex podcast episode of the day, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. It's a lot spike, right? Lot spike. You got it. Lot spike. That's what I thought. Okay. All right, man. We're going to get rolling. Just I was say. actually, I, I, I grew up uh, pronouncing it lot speech. And oh. uh, my brother and I, we, uh, a few years ago, we kind of wanted to go back to German roots and start producing, uh, pronouncing it lots bike. <laughs> I see. So okay. We, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Very, so German, German, <laughs> German family history. Have you traced, have you like gone back and like found like, I don't know, great grandfathers or anything. Have you done anything cool like that? I haven't done a lot of the genealogy, but my, uh, my dad and my brother were interested in it. And so they were able to kind of find, uh, some, some of the tracing it went back to Southern Germany, but, uh, it's about only a cut or quarter of my lineage. Uh, I will tell you that, uh, so you haven't sent your DNA into one of these places yet to do the, to, okay. No, not yet. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a little bit of a scary deal, right? Like, so I got, uh, uh, I didn't, I didn't know who my, my blood father was. So when I, I was adopted, uh, and my mom uh, lost track of the guy back in 1967. And so I never, I never knew who my real father was. Well, anyway, somehow my wife talked me into doing one of those, uh, it's escaping me what the name of it is right now. Ancestry, ancestry.com or whatever, where you send your DNA in. Anyway, I'll just tell you, uh, sometimes stuff comes back that you don't want to know about. <laughs> I mean, what I mean is you find out like, yeah. oh, grandpa. So grandpa was like, actually had like two other kids outside of his marriage. Okay. Yeah. We didn't know about that. That's weird. And then you find out all these things about people that are in the system because it'll tag them. It'll tag them and say, Hey, this, this, this girl is, is this guy's daughter. And then you're looking, you're like, wait a minute, hold on. That's not even, how'd that, how's that possible? I didn't know grandpa had another, you know, or stuff like that. So anyway, there's, there's a little secrets that come out about families when they send this stuff in. So, you know, you, you want to be careful. <laughs> um, know, right? Yeah. And for me, like when I was in college, like I kind of, I had like good time, you know, with, with, with uh, lots of girls and things. And, uh, and so when I sent my DNA and I'm like, okay, it's like some 30 year old guy, like going to knock on my door and be like, surprise, I'm your kid. <laughs> uh, oh man. Anyway, 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 um, Sheldon Lotspike on the Rider Flex podcast from Carbon Chemistry. Sheldon, how are things, man? How you doing? Hey, I'm hanging in there. It's uh, it's been a crazy year, you know. Uh, entrepreneurship, it's always a rocky road. So even I without think, um, even 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 without COVID, awesome. even without COVID, it's a rocky road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there was a major event going on last fall, and uh, had some people come in to me, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, what are we gonna do?" And I was like. Uh, kind of feels like a Tuesday. <laughs> so it's just, it just keeps coming, but you know, doing all right. Um, charging forward, getting a chance to be um, at a trade show and, and engaging with our, our customers and in industry. So uh, really fortunate. Thanks for having me, Steve. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm glad you're on the show. Uh, tell us a little bit about your family and your, your early, you know, where you grew up, some family stuff. And tell us about Sheldon before we get into carbon chemistry too much. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I grew up in uh, Ventura, California, um, Southern California, but North of LA and, uh, you know, middle-class family, um, nothing really exciting. Um, uh, parents were divorced when I was younger. I'm the youngest of three. Okay. Uh, my siblings are all four years apart. Um, my brother's eight years older with Jen, my sister's four years older, Kira, okay. um, mom and dad, Dale and Tayona. And, uh, you know, really just, uh, I would say that 
because of the family divorce, which I think, you know, really gained in popularity in the nineties. Um, it was a little backwards, you know, they spent several years fighting each other. So we kind of declined as a family, uh, mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. my teen years. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you know, luckily, despite all that, I, you know, I had, I had very loving parents and, um, when I was in uh, sixth grade, my, my dad and sister were taking community college classes. So I joined them and I took uh, German and then I uh, got to go to a trip to Europe when I was 13. And it really opened cool. up my interest in, uh, in kind of the world and cultures and sparked an interest uh, for international business. Um, after high school, um, at first, I was going to go to my dad's alma mater, a, a religious college in uh, Illinois, but ended up stumbling my way to the California Maritime Academy, where I studied international business and logistics. Um, came just shy of getting my degree. What <laughs> happened? Know, I got antsy. I got antsy and I wanted to go work. I wanted to get my hands dirty. You know, I, uh, I got restless. Um, okay. I was on track to graduate in three years, but... Um, came just a few gen eds shy mm, mm. what okay so you went out you wanted to start working all right so all right then walk me through your early career there what'd you uh what'd you do before you became an entrepreneur so um being in the maritime business field uh ports and terminals were kind of a, a an option to get and uh Actually, first off, I was waiting for a, a job with the military sealift command doing uh, resupply for U.S. Navy vessels. Um, it's like a civilian mariner job, but okay. quasi-military. Uh, sailed with them one summer over, flew to Singapore, and then sailed the ship up to uh, Vietnam. Or oh, I bet that, Island. oh, man, I bet that was cool. Yeah, it was really cool. We got to meet up with the UNS, uh, USNS Mercy and uh, the, the hospital ship and do a resupply mission. So you shoot lines over and you pumping fuel and potable water and then helicopters are lifting pallets of goods over there to they do underway replenishment. You're doing, all, you're doing all this stuff early in your career. Um, I can see your passion for it. You're probably thinking, okay, I'm not sure exactly what I wanna do yet, but I wanna be involved in all of this like somehow, <laughs> right? Was that kind of the thought? Yeah. That was it. You know, I wanted to travel, uh, want to see the world, and it seemed to kind of come into alignment. Um, okay. But I ended up just walking into the office of, uh, <laughs> I interned for a company called uh, Pesha, um, and they do, they have a vessel that goes between California and Hawaii. Okay. Um, and they also do other services, but I had interned there doing uh, over high and wide cargo. So like, out of gauge stuff. So if you want to send a gen set on a project and needs to go intermodal, so goes on a ship, gets put onto specialty trucking equipment, maybe rail, uh, I'd be kind of coordinating all that. So okay. I interned with them and I visited the San Diego terminal one time and I was in, I moved down to San Diego after uh, leaving school. Okay. I was kind of waiting to hear back from military seal command and they came through and finally said, no, sorry, we actually aren't continuing the program. So mm -hmm. that job opportunity evaporated. What were you doing for a living at that point? Were you like, were you like bartending or how were you feeding yourself? <laughs> uh, some bouncing. Yep. Uh, doing Craigslist jobs. You know, I, uh, okay. I did, okay. I, I was doing electrical meters. Um, okay. All right. I was doing odd jobs, you know, just anything I could get off of a okay. uh, little gig work uh, to yep. kind of create, All scrape right. some cash together. All right. All right. And um, then I got a job working terminals and that kind of kicked off my early career. Um, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of work experience prior to entrepreneurship, but spent two years in uh, ports and terminal operation uh, doing cargo loading and unloading and working with longshoremen and um, work with a few different types of cargo containers, uh, autos, uh, okay. all row, row, okay. roll on, roll off. All right. And some break bulk. Then what happened? Somehow you bought a, somehow you became a, a co-founder or you became involved with a gas or oil company. Tell me about it. Yeah. So my, my brother, after he got out of the Navy, he, he, he got, he took an interest to uh, the cannabis industry. And uh, I think it came out of, need you know he had a he had a dear a loved one that 
that was really interested in, in weed. And he's like, this is getting expensive. So he got, he, he, he kind of stumbled into cannabis and got into extracting. This was like 2013 when uh, closed loop extraction started to become a thing. All right. Um, and concentrates kind of became a, a bud budding industry, if you will, of, uh, in the cannabis oh, segment. Okay. All right. So your brother's into it. Now, can I, let me just pause you just for a second. When you guys were growing up as kids, sure. your siblings, your family, your mom and dad, were you all, was, was everybody like cannabis friendly? Like, was everybody like, oh, this is, you know, it's just like having a beer or, or was your family like super against it? Or what was the culture with the family? I'm just curious. Um, definitely more on the against it, but I, I didn't know anybody who had anything to do with weed growing up. It was, oh. it was completely off the radar. So when your brother, so when your brother so, came back from yeah. the, came, when your, when your brother came out of the service and he's like getting into weed and he's like, he's like, Hey man, I'm getting into this. Are you like, what, what, what are you crazy? Like how'd that conversation go? <laughs> you know, I, I think when we talked about it, he really came up, he came about it in the same light that I've come to really appreciate. And that's, uh, a structural injustice, right? Like mm -hmm. you go into the science and the facts of the matter and it doesn't add up. Like yep. in California yep. in 1996, they passed the Compassionate Care Act, which allowed people to have uh, medical marijuana. They're allowed to have it. The problem is that it doesn't, it didn't create any infrastructure for growers for yep. distribution. Yep. Yep. So it basically, it, it allowed for people to be consumers of it but it made it so that people got persecuted as drug dealers if they actually provided it. Yep. So it took 20 years before 2016, where California passed recreational, that mm -hmm. the industry actually finally started to be able to legitimize mm -hmm. as a business. So when he talked about it, you know, it was patients, it was people who they were able to replace pharmaceuticals with cannabis for pain management or dietary uh, needs. And yep. it was like, wow, that's, that's really cool. Okay. It was like, it was kind of like something I had no idea about, but I, it wasn't so much that I fell in love with the industry and went and got involved in it. It was more that I was trying to find my own way in life. <laughs> and, and interestingly enough, th there was a structural issue where the established companies that sold specialty gases to uh, industrial processes wouldn't support this industry because, you know, it wasn't legal and it's cash business. And for all the understandable reasons uh, that, you know, a, a nefarious industry wouldn't be supported by publicly mm -hmm. traded established businesses. Um, and so my brother said, Hey, you know how to transport stuff. Can uh -huh. you bring in gas? And that was it. I said, sure. I mean, theoretically, I see. You know, I, I, that's how, oh, that's how that ties together. So you, so you started that gas company to help your brother's cannabis company, basically. And it, not just him, right? He said, if I'm feeling this need, I see. other people are. Okay. And so okay. he identified a market opportunity ah. because of a, a, a need. And that is I a see. need to be supplied. Were you like, okay. So, and you called it Imperial gas company. That was 2016. Were you like, were you like, okay, you I don't know. I don't even know how to like register for an LLC. Like, how do you do the, were you like, what? <laughs> did, yeah, did you, no, like, you got you... it. My, my, <laughs> my brother was like, all right, well, you know, you need to, you need to have a business name. And if, <laughs> if it's not the same business name, you need to have a DBA. And so just started hitting Google and um, awesome. got a business attorney and got awesome. the thing formed and just kind of went headlong into it. How'd you fund it? I mean, did you have some savings? So, or did, uh, yeah, 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 go ahead. Yeah, no, well, we started off, I, short answer is <laughs> I, I got a, a $10,000 loan from family. Okay. Uh, at, and that was to buy inventory after we had already scraped together some tanks and, and driven them around and, and got people right. to buy them. Uh, okay. So did a, little, did a little bit out of pocket. And then from there, got a whole container of product. And then I also borrowed nine grand from a couple friends. So okay, okay, um, yeah, nineteen thousand dollars for a full container of product is really <laughs> kind of what got us to having a branded product and how about an established that? product. How about that? Okay, very good. So you ran, you ran Imperial Gas. Walk us through the transition. How did you then start? Let's go, let's get into carbon chemistry. So for the listeners, by the way, sure. uh, carbonchemistry.com. 
Um, you, why don't you walk us through like the transition from imperial gas into carbon chemistry and how that happened and why you did it? Go for it. Sure. So imperial gas, you know, made every mistake in the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> just had to figure out accounting, um, you know, brought in some other shareholders and, and having meetings and figuring out direction. And to be honest, I still haven't figured all that out, but we get better and we iterate. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we were, we were, we were running the gas company and it was, it was increasing. Um, you know, we had some growth, you know, went from $0 to 680,000 in revenue in a year and a half. Wow. Um, and that was, that was huge. That's that big. was like, Hey, wow, we're, we're a business. That's yeah. great. You know, and of course we were only able to pay our bills and service our debt. <laughs> but um, it, the issue that I saw going forward is that we didn't have the capital or the infrastructure to really compete as the industry was rapidly growing. You okay. know, eventually the, the established players would participate or other companies that were friendly to the industry that had the infrastructure would start to dominate. Okay. So we kind of saw a sunset to our opportunity window as the business uh, stood. But during Imperial Gas had started getting into liquid solvents like ethanol, isopropyl alcohol, acetone. Making, so had been doing a little them, bit of that. Make, making them or sourcing it or, uh, or go ahead. Yeah, no, we're mainly a specialty chemical distributor. So we source, we partner with manufacturers. We, our goal is to go out and find goods yeah. that um, in, in most established industries, you have like an industry specification or something that's best practice. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the quality of goods at the right price for the, the process. Yep. Cannabis as a new industry and a constantly evolving industry. Mm -hmm. um, everybody's still figuring that out. There's so many yep. different types of goods. So as a supplier, you're kind of doing a mixture of learning the application and helping the customers find the right stuff and then supplying that to like-minded people. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Did you and your brother start carbon chemistry together or who's on the cap table? Who, who's, who's ownership there? Yeah, no, we started at 50, 50, um, 50, 50. he had been, yeah. So while, while Imperial Gas was going, he had been kind of doing some research into um, powders, bentonite clays, and aluminas to use as adsorbents. And adsorption is a process where you hold back target compounds by using a media. Okay. Um, so think Brita, Brita filter, right? Okay. Your water okay. goes in, that carbon is going to pull out things like heavy metals, Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. it's going to let the water go through and it's now been purified. So our products do a similar thing to cannabis oils. I see. Okay. So, so he, I, I can almost envision, he's like, Hey man, I'm having to like find all this stuff and it, I, I'm having to call around to different manufacturers. I don't know who, I don't have a simple one-stop shop place to go to help me with this. Why don't we why don't we create a wholesale distribution company that makes it easy uh, for people to get this get this get these supplies? That's what it sounds like. Did I did I am I summarizing that right or not? You know, I, I think um, it, it was a little less master plan <laughs> like that, and it was a little bit more like okay, we've been selling products to people. There's obviously a need. I mean, the, this industry needs good. Good, good business people, good partners, more than, more than anywhere else I've seen. Amen. You know, yep. it's just yep. you're right. <laughs> they they even call it the green tax. When companies do business with the cannabis industry, they charge more. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's just it's a very backwards arrangement. Um, you know, normally an okay. industry needs help. So, so okay. uh, basically, he was he was looking into this and said, you know, did some research and was like, hey, this this actually could have a very viable benefit for processors and it was a little bit more he was already moving out to colorado and we were trying to expand our business to colorado okay and uh the business operating environment in california can be a little arduous for small businesses <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um so instead of expanding decided to actually relocate to colorado okay and 
carbon or Imperial gas company was winding down, you know, we just, we kind of were like, okay, this isn't going to work. So we kind of shut it down. Okay. And with the knowledge of liquid solvents and the new product line that my brother is bringing on with the powders, we said, Hey, look, we both have a side. Let's just put them together and just keep doing this. Okay. And it became carbon chemistry. All right. Very good. All right. And give it, and as carbon chemistry stands today, give us the, give us the three minute elevator pitch, carbon chemistry, go for it. Sure. Carbon chemistry, leading supplier to cannabis oil manufacturers. Um, We supply high quality professional grade products uh, that are sourced and delivered specifically for the processing application. Um, the reason that we do this is that we believe in improving lives by supplying others. Mm. Um, we, we are a chemical distributor, but we're only focused on one industry. So instead of having a giant catalog um, and you know focusing on price, we focus on how to constantly improve and carry the right products for our target customer base. Okay. And your target customer base is somebody who produces oils, cannabis. Uh, go for it. Uh, yeah. It'll, sure. Give me, so, give yeah. Uh, yeah. We say you know, processors, cannabis oil manufacturers, essentially, um, you know, everybody talks about CBD, but CBD comes from industrial hemp. You yep. grow the hemp and then you have to extract the oils and then mm-hmm. you have to purify them. And then that becomes a bulk product, which can then get dosed into edibles or capsules or anything like okay. that. So okay. we, we, our niche, our segment that we support are the people who are extracting cannabis oils or processing them to improve them. Well, basically, anybody that's a processor uh, is your customer uh, throughout, throughout now. And you can sell your products can be sold across the country, right? You don't have to worry about state lines and all that, right? So you can sell to anybody. Correct. And international. We have some distribution in Canada and uh, we've we've had some, you know, we've shipped, done some business in Colombia and had some interest in from Europe too. Very good. How many employees? Uh, Right now we're sitting at about 15 employees. 15 employees. Okay. um, Okay. We had peaked out at uh, 35 at the end of last year. Okay. And uh, just a, just a couple months ago, we had to do a significant uh, layoff and restructure. Oh, what happened? Uh, it, you know, what it's, happened? It's, you know, we we built up. Um, you know, I, I think it, we were really the company has had tremendous growth, and okay. you know, we were doubling every year, and okay. we were exceeding our expectations. And to go a key part of carbon chemistry. My brother and I started it with $5,000 each. <laughs> How about and that? I like that. I like that. $10,000 seed money. I like that. $10,000 seed money. Awesome. And, and to be honest, we didn't make any money in, in with Imperial gas, <laughs> you know, okay. basically threw everything okay. into it and left with nothing. So okay. that, that five grand was like the, the last bit of the last money that I had. And then, uh, you know, we weren't able to get payroll for a number of months. And even so, we actually exceeded our expectations over and over and over. And um, there, there was a demand. And I just, I mean, at the beginning of 2020, we had two product lines that we were out of stock for four months because mm-hmm. we were getting full container loads. But I had one ton of silica gel sitting in our pallet for the year of 2018. Didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So January 2020, we sold seven tons in one week. Wow. And you get to a spot where, you know, ocean, ocean con- containers take, <laughs> they take a couple months to move around the world. You know, it has to get transferred onto a truck or rail in order to keep the cost down. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, unless you've got six, $700,000 to throw at inventory, you can't have multiple container loads moving around. You're, you're kind of capped by, um, in, in our case, our limiting factor was um, finance. So we didn't have the funds to bring in enough inventory. So I had to build up the organization across the board to kind of bring in the competency to keep the operational integrity as we scaled. Have you had, have you taken on cash outside cash at all? You and your brother, besides the, besides the, you mentioned some family 
borrowing earlier back for the gas company, but, but with carbon chemistry, have you taken on any outside cash from angels or anybody else? We've taken on some very expensive debt um, to okay. the tune of 1.5 million that we personally guaranteed. Um, mm. Mm. So there, there's, the, there's that. Um, but other than that, we had a small um, convertible note raise that, you know, we brought in uh, about 200,000, but over the course of six months, uh, that was just friends and family. But um, other than that, no, we haven't had any outside injections. Okay. Um, uh, let me ask you, can you share revenue? Can you give me, I don't know if you want to talk about revenue. Can you, do you want to give us a, like a, a general idea? Like, is this a multi-million dollar deal? Are you guys doing like, you want to, I don't know how much you want to yeah. share. No, sure. I mean, um, in 2018 in our first, so we, we founded the business in uh, November, 2017. Okay. And uh, in 2018, we did 1.5 mil in sales. And to be honest, our target was 500,000. I thought that yeah, that's what we great. were gonna do. Yeah. Um, did 1.5 in 2019, we did 3.6. And nice. uh, 2020, we, we did 6.2. What? Uh, but we started, we were at a rate, we were targeting about 7.5 uh, at by June. And then the second half of the year slowed down. And, um, this year we've been averaging about 400,000 a month. Um, so okay. we're, we're, we're down over last year, but at the same time, we've, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, we're supporting an industry that has ups and downs yep. and specifically our process, um, you know, just talking to, just talking to some of our customers and consultants that are, are working on, on uh, innovating, it's, it's arduous, you know, like the States, there's not really good R and D programs to say, Hey, I'm going to take this controlled substance and I'm just going to go over here in the lab and do whatever I want with it. <laughs> there's, there's this, the systems aren't good for it. Like California has a, has a program where you can actually submit a proposal to remediate product. Mm. And then the uh, California department of public health and, and safety can then approve that and allow you to go and remediate something. Then this is mm -hmm. like, you know, let's say you test hot for pesticides that um, it's outside of spec. That is um, now it, that entire lot of cannabis can't be sold. Right. However, there's processes that you can do in order to remove the pesticides, but you mm -hmm. have to get approval. And so we're in this spot where, you know, the, 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 the legal cannabis market is, has pretty high tax rates, you know, effectively, 15 to 50 percent um on the whole supply chain um and this is all and then on top of it non-deductible expenses so like all of our plant touching customers that are trying to do the right thing are just embattled from every direction mm -hmm. and then it's still federally illegal um and so and they can't bank <laughs> you know it's like th there's there's all these things that 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 work against our customers i know and, and i'm guessing and i'm so guessing why, some and I'm guessing some of your customers, even though you love them, I'm guessing some of them pay slow or end up not being able to pay because of various reasons. And then you're like, okay, yeah, right. I mean, I'm sure you got some of that in there. You know, we, we talk a lot about our experience with the industry and I think it's just, there's so much need for people to just be real these days <laughs> that I think it bleeds into business too. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I've just been, you know, reading a lot of leadership stuff online and whatnot. And it's like, lead with vulnerability, be vulnerable, be vulnerable. But I didn't really know what that was until I just started talking to people. And I'm like, yeah, man, this is really hard. And, or, or talking about the struggles in mm -hmm. a really real way and, and seeing the reaction on people's faces when they're like, they, 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 they have to fake it till they make it. They don't get a chance to just share their struggles and mm -hmm. let out a good cry or something, you know? And, mm -hmm. and um, it, we all shoot, it's been a tough year across the board. Yeah, man. Yeah, nobody's yeah. just like, wow, everything's so perfect and fun. <laughs> well, you know, being an entrepreneur and business owner period is just super ass hard. I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult to 
start and grow and maintain a brand. Like if you've never tried it yourself and you're listening to this episode, yeah, man, it's, it's super hard being an employee, you know, no offense to the listeners, but that is easy. <laughs> you want to, you want to, you want to, so I, I, I gotta <laughs> say on, on that, you, you know, um, I, I forgot what it's called, but you know, that feeling where you're standing at the edge of the cliff and you're like, you, you fantasize about like jumping off or whatever, you know, that, that, that thing in the back of your brain. Yeah. Um, I definitely in entrepreneurship, you have these little like fever fantasies of like, Oh, <laughs> just having an hourly job and I don't have to right? the benefits and I clock yes. out and have a life after hours. Like That's right. you have some sick, you have some sick fantasies about it, but you know, like um, <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't know if there's any going back, you know, um, isn't that weird, so right? Rewarding. Right. Isn't that, that's see, that's, that's the catch right there. It's like, okay. Yeah. There is no clocking out and not worrying and just go, I'm going to go home now and make my little dinner and watch my little TV shows and play with my dog and not stress. Like that's a, that's what employees do. <laughs> Owners don't do that. Right. We never really fully relax. Like we never really, we're, we're working all the time. Even if we're not working, our brain is thinking about the business. Right. And so, uh, uh, you're right. It's weird. It's like, okay, this is super hard and it, and it takes a lot of time, but like, just like you said, there's, there's also so many benefits and rewards and satisfactions and things that come from being a business owner that I probably wouldn't trade it. Here's a perfect example. I'm going to leave this afternoon on Friday and get in my Jeep around one o'clock and drive up to the mountains. And I don't have to ask anybody if I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> right and so there are some trade-offs <laughs> yeah and you know i i would say that shoot you know how do you put a price on on right. having the ability to make choices in life and and choose what That's to right. do but right. in what i find like rewarding one one case that really stands out to me um in early 2019 late 20. 20, kind of in that period, we had moved to a new office. And I had two employees that bought new cars within like the same week of each other. Okay. And it was a really weird feeling because mm -hmm. it was almost like them being like, oh, I'm so confident in how everything's going. Yeah. Right? Like, I feel secure. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. <laughs> you feel like you know it's almost like you, you you have less existential dread about this business than I do this is amazing you know and um it it was just it was really cool because it was almost like a vote of confidence you know it, it, for somebody yeah. to be like oh, I'm not I'm not worried about things I think everything's going really well and I think it's going to continue to go well and I'm willing to make commitments accordingly which is nice but at the same time isn't it fascinating how em employees, you know, they, uh, cause I've heard people say, they'll, they'll say something like, well, you know, I, w I can't really start a business and I can't be involved with a startup. I, I need to, I need to work for a regular company and just get a safe job. They always, they'll, they'll use the word, you know, I just need to work for a, a bigger company so that it, it can be safe. And I, I'm always saying, I'm like, bro, th there, there are no safe jobs. Like, what, what are you talking about? You, you get, get laid off at any time, anything could happen. I don't, you know, people always tell me that it gets on my nerves. They're like, Oh, I can't do startup. It's too risky. So I'm going to go to work for this fortune 500 company. You know, and then that's, and then that same guy is calling me like two months later saying, well, they had a layoff. Can you help me find something else? I'm like, see, I told you. <laughs> and, and you know, and I think that, that, that what you just kind of put out there is a little bit of calculus that is hard for people to do until they see behind the curtain. Right. Um, you know, like it, it's not until you experience the personal growth that can come from the challenges, the arduous existence of being an entrepreneurship mm -hmm. that suddenly you're like, you realize that the safety is a lie, right? It's totally, totally. grass is always greener. And I mean, for me, I look back and I, I jumped off into the deep end of entrepreneurship five years ago yeah. and I, I'm closer to achieving my, my childhood dreams of being in a position to have an impact, um, 
than I ever would have been. I, in fact, that's why I left. I, I, um, I, I, I saw a problem on the terminal and with one switch, we could have saved a couple million dollars and just got ignored wow. because of wow. just the way yep. structure and clunky bureaucracy. And so I, I, I got to a spot where I, I, I got sick of that, that glut and, and that inefficiency and that disconnect from what's actually yes. being done. And, um, and now you've built a, and, and I've grown so, so much. Oh, the, the, yeah. What, you know, what I, you, what you, what you've learned, what, what, what you have learned and how you've grown personally in business from April of 2016 to now, I mean, that is so valuable. I mean, all the things you've learned about creating, starting ups, downs, cash flow. I mean, just employee, all of it. I mean, that is so valuable what you've come through. Um, isn't isn't it interesting too? I always thought I was a I was a CEO and a COO and a president for a few forty million dollar companies before I became an entrepreneur. And so, but I was always an employee, right? I mean, even even though I had a C level position, I was still an employee. And I always thought entrepreneurs were just always cocky, right? Like every entrepreneur I would meet, I would be like, man, that guy, like that guy's kind of got a little bit of an arrogance. Like he's kind of got a swagger. And it's like almost every entrepreneur I met had this um not i'm trying to think of the right word this this kind of um swagger confidence like they had been to like 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 a guy would act if he had been to war and you know came back and had scars and battles and he would just be you know nothing phased him because he'd been to war that's how entrepreneurs act and i and i always watched how with their behavior now that I've built Riderflex over the last five years and, and built it into a, a million dollar uh, boutique recruiting firm, now I understand why. Because it takes a lot of grit and effort and balls and whatever to, to, to build a business that far. And once you get it going, you, you kind of understand like, wow, yeah, this is super ass hard. And I got, and I built a multi, multi-billion dollar business. And that, so I, anyway, my point was going to be, this is why entrepreneurs always have a little bit of swagger, just a little bit. <laughs> the, the, the continents of a boxer, you know, you yeah. can't get up there and be like, uh, <laughs> like you just gotta, you, you gotta know the weight of your own hands. And that's right. It's interesting because there is a confidence, right? Like there is. I, I mean, I, I, you know, there's, we need to be like children. We need to have an open mind in order to really grow. And I now love watching toddlers as they like do something and see the, the effect of their action. Mm. And I feel like that for me has been the entrepreneur experience, you know, cause yeah, there's one thing I keep, nobody can take away from me. I'm like built this with my hands. Yes. Like I, yes. I feel it. I, I yes. know what it took. Yes. And I know the impact of my actions and, you know, there may be somebody who's stronger, smarter, I guarantee it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I am who I am and I'm very yeah. confident in my actions and my methods and they've been validated by, you know, it, it just getting a chance to just do it. Just yeah. trying. It's so, Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And now that, I mean, now, no matter what happens in your life, I mean, damn, you're still young. How old are you? Um, I turned 30 in January. I mean, wow. I mean, bro, you've, you've started, you've started two companies. You got a company right now. That's a multi-million dollar company and you're 30 years old. I mean, uh, that's, that's uh, congratulations. I mean, not a lot of people, there's hey. not a lot of people that can say that. I mean, that is a very small group of people walking around, uh, in the country that can say like, Hey, I'm 30 years old. I have a multi-million dollar company. Congrats. I mean, I know, I know it's super stressful and anything, but at this point, if it all crashed tomorrow, you, you can walk around knowing that you built a, a multi-million dollar company, right? It's a major accomplishment, no matter what happens. Um, at this point, what's the, and what's go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, especially, you know, as, as, homeless for a bit before going to college and are you serious school and that was wow yeah i i so i kind of glazed through some of that but um you know and and uh wow that that was actually part of the reason i ended up leaving school was i wasn't going to be able to get financial aid for another semester but um wow wow 
you know, it's easy to kind of go back and just be like, yeah, but I was all fancy. But um, when you when you meet people yeah. now, when you when yeah. you meet people, when you when you meet somebody that's kind of down on their luck like that, and you know they're in a situation like that, right? Like they quit college, can't find a job, they're living with their buddy, they're sleeping on the couch, whatever. When you meet people like that. Mm-hmm. I have two reactions. I don't know how you feel, but I have two reactions to it. My first one is, okay, I kind of feel for you, bro. Let me find out what your story is. But then as the, I talk to them, if I find out they're not getting their ass up and hustling and trying to make a difference and they're just laying around complaining, then I'm quickly like, okay, no, uh, no, you're, you're creating your own world and you ain't trying to fight out of it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I might be a bit of a hypocrite here, but um, I would say that when I, 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 I take a bit of a stoic approach. I think um, stoicism comes naturally to me, but um, the most common uh, trend I find with a lot of people who aren't where they want to be is there's usually something that we're doing, right? Like you could sit down and talk about somebody's life and analyze their worldview you know, what, what their desires are, what their experience is, what their resources are, and you could give them a clear path forward. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, a lot of times people won't do that because it's not their fault. Right. It's their, <laughs> their experience is a product of other people's actions and choices. Yes. Not theirs. And so, yeah. Yeah. um, uh, Jacko, uh, Walnick, you know, extreme, extreme, Extreme ownership. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, and it, it, there's something to be said about that, like stoicism of like, you know, sure, you, you, you know, you're, you, you got a crappy place to sleep. You don't know where your next meal is coming from. You don't even know what you want to do in your life. You've got some responsibilities that you've signed on, whether it be credit card debt, a kid, you, you know, you're just, you're, you're way out of your depth. There's always a route forward. And mm-hmm. I was working with a, with a coach and um, she, and by the way, I'm also married. I, I married my wife a year and a half ago. We met at the Maritime Academy. Cool. She's my biggest supporter. And awesome. uh, it's just having somebody, it, having, having somebody through entrepreneurship is so, so helpful. Um, you got that right. Let's, let's just take you know, it. Just, just, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a deep breath. Let's just take a deep breath right there for everybody listening. Yeah. If you have a partner or a spouse or whatever that you can lean on that, that is supportive, that, that, you know, understands you and takes risks with you and lets you, you know, wake up in the middle of the night at 3 AM in a panic attack, sweating in your bed because you're worried about cash flow and they give you a big hug. I mean, that shit matters, man. I mean, it's huge, right? It's big. And, and you know, there's a couple. There, we got. I proposed uh, January 2018, three months after starting the business. Yeah, I was penniless, <laughs> no idea what was going to happen. And and what hey, listen, held me back? Listen, I mean, listen, honey, honey, it's going to be fine. Listen, I really don't know what I'm going to do. I'm in debt. I have no cash. I'm going to start a business. Don't really know if it's going to work. But come on, come marry me. <laughs> and she said yes. You know, I mean, like, I. The thing is that. It was interesting because I realized that she she loved the hell out of me. Yeah. And I was at a spot where I was like, I can't go and start a family and then fail. Mm. And it's interesting because that's something that I've talked to a lot of other uh, people before, especially guys who, you know, we, I think we get a bad rep for uh, having commitment issues. But mm. the reason we won't commit is because it's like a, a lack of confidence. Like mm. I can't provide and so I'm going to save up more acorns and I'm going to wait without really understanding that that could actually harm the situation. Mm. And what gave me the confidence to propose was the understanding that could go down on a ball of flames, <laughs> go right back to being homeless, penniless, and she'd be right there next to me. And we just yeah. figure it out and go from there. Wow, man, that is so cool. Does she help you in the business or does she do something else? Yeah, she's involved, um, okay. you know, and it's been a great growth opportunity. Actually, she, uh, we had some layoffs and she, she was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do that. And she's been working for free and learning marketing and kind of going in a different direction. Wow. And wow. She, she's a, she's kind of a, a second wing entrepreneur, you know, like she, she That's joined pretty- on because 
I was, you know, cause I was doing it, but we were in this one office. I was literally looking over her shoulder <clears throat> because of the way she was sitting. And I had been doing the work that she was doing. And so it was like, it, it felt really belittling to her. You know, she was just like, uh, you she, she had confidence issues. <laughs> But um, mm. she actually, she took a, she went back to her old job, moved to Hawaii for six months and then came huh? back. We got married and she took oh, a I completely see. different role. And uh, it's been, it's been good. You know I mean? She's, she's capable and uh, you know, we all, we all struggle with our, our confidence issues, but um, sure. that's, that's life. You know, you just got to totally. do it. What is your brother? Your brother's still involved, right? He is, you know, um, it's, it's, uh, I've read a lot, you know, unfortunately founder issues can be common. Um, oh, yeah. something That's... I recommend, yeah. you know, it's like, it, it's best to have things as detailed and organized <laughs> from the onset. Absolutely. Um, two chiefs don't make for anything good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you need to have some kind of you know, you have a lot of these things prefig uh, figured out and mm-hmm. conflict resolution mechanisms are important. You know, like I think we missed the boat on a lot of things. And so we're really working on reestablishing our communication. So let's just take a deep breath right there for the listeners. I want to take a pause. Listen, if you're starting, if you're thinking about starting a company or you're just getting started, please get a detailed operating agreement that explains how things work, where the voting power is, who makes the decisions. The operating agreement in my mind is basically a document that only gets pulled out of the file cabinet when shit's happening, when shit's going down, right? Like that's, you refer back to it to go, oh, okay, if this happens, here's what the operating agreement says or whatever. I talk to so many people that are like, oh, well, I'm starting a business with my friend, Mary. And I'm like, okay, do you have the operating agreement? Oh, no, we don't need that. I've known Mary forever. You know, we, we're just going to do it together. And, you know, it's fine. It's going to be fine. I'm like, no, it, no, no. Five years from now, you're going to need yeah. an operating agreement when Mary gets on your nerves and like pisses you off and steals a hundred grand from the, from the, from the bank that you don't know about. Like, no, put, get an operating agreement. And another thing I would recommend is, I'm not a big fan of the 50-50. Like if there's anybody listening, mm. I do I do think it should Never. be 51-49. Like you you need you need to have clarity for somebody to make decisions when 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 stuff's going down. Anyway, that's my thoughts. I don't know what you want to add to that or if you disagree. Oh gosh, I I cannot tell you how much I do agree. It's such okay. a simple thing and it's one of those things. It's like yeah, it's it's like going through the jungle just to find out that there's a staircase right around the corner. I mean, <laughs> it's it's good one. I, I like that. Good one. Uh, I, I would I, I would go back. I, I've made every not every mistake in the book, but I, I've made some some painful ones. Um, yeah. And you know, it's again that lack of clarity, lack of conflict resolution. Um, it's just, it's amazing how much a pain in the butt yep. it can be. Yeah, totally agree. So I'm glad you're working to get some of that cleaned up. Um, man, I know we're almost out of time. Uh, damn, I could talk to you for another two hours. You got some really good insights, <laughs> Sheldon, really good insights. I think what's great for this episode for the listeners is just all the stuff you've been through. I mean, damn, you should come on and probably do another, another, I'll call you in a few months or so. We, we, we should do another episode because you can share so much, I think, that will help aspiring entrepreneurs or early entrepreneurs with the things you've learned, you know, if you and you seem to be willing to share those things to help people, because I, I feel you have a good heart and you want to you want to share because you're, you're like, listen, here's what I went through. This is what I suggest you do. Like, don't don't, you know, <laughs> like you said, I love that analogy. The staircase is right over there, but you went through the jungle. That's pretty good. Uh, but two final <laughs> questions, two final questions really quick. And again, for the listeners, carbonchemistry.com. Um, two, two final questions since we're almost out of time. If you could call the young man sleeping in his car in Southern California, just think back, think, think back to one of those nights where you're, you're laying there going, what the fuck am I going to do with my life? Like, I got to get it together. What would you tell Sheldon if you could call him? 
if you could go back in time and call him on the phone? You know, I love this question uh, because I've answered it before and it hasn't changed. Okay. Um, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Yep. Everything's going to be all right. It's, it's going to be all right. <laughs> I'd tell myself that last month. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Uh, I'll, I'll just tell you, I'll give you a little insight on what I say to that for myself now is as you get older, you'll, you, you don't, you probably don't realize any of this yet because you don't have any pains or aches or issues, body issues or health issues, but I'll be 54 this summer as you start entering your 50, 50s stuff starts, stuff starts happening to your body. What I say to people is, look, if you have your health and you're not in pain, the rest of it's gravy, whatever else is happening in your life. So, you know, if you're waking up and you're not in pain and you're healthy, just be thankful. And that's, you're good to go. Anything else is, is gravy. I, I would uh, say, I would, I would extend that to mental health too. You yes. know, you got to take care of yourself. You got to be right. Yep. 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 Totally. Last question. If you could define your core purpose in life, if you could put your core purpose into a sentence now, and I'm, you know, most people's core purpose kind of changes or tweaks as they move along or get older, but right now at your age, if you had to put your core purpose into a sentence and let's not tie it to family. So let's move it away from, move it away from your wife and, and not tie it to family. So family aside, what is your core purpose? Balancing humanity and resources. Okay. That's going to be important uh, when the when, when that's going to be really important when the planet has like 15 billion people on it and there's not enough resources to feed and shelter and clothe and water them. Right. That's going to be important. It's it, when I think back to kind of what has driven me, it's been trying to find that balance and mm -hmm. um, you know, and it, it is, it, it's, it's what drives me forward and it's what I could see being a, a core seed to the, decisions of what I want to be involved in in the future. Mm. Sheldon, great stuff, man. Great stuff. Really appreciate you being on the podcast. Oh, it was a pleasure. I'd be happy to do it anytime. Uh